Ah, we were still on question 35, right? What are the benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? And we said the first being true assurance. Uh, and I asked the question, do all non-Christians lack assurance? Assurance of I'm mostly talking to people who are here. <laughs> yeah, assurance that we were spoken for in Christ. Um, uh, assurance of, of the election, the unconditional call, and uh, of these things. So we, we kind of compared, uh, by way of an imaginary chart, false assurance, presumptuous confidence with true assurance, uh, and determined that... Yes, unbelievers do lack the, the true assurance. They might have uh, some kind of a house of cards or house built on sand that they've convinced themselves is very secure. Uh, but at the end of the day, because it leads to spiritual pride, not spiritual humility, uh, because it leads to sloth and apathy regarding God's law rather than to a zeal for the law, uh, it avoids the light. Uh, it's the kind of assurance in oneself that... Uh, does not want God's truth applied to every nook and cranny of the heart. Uh, and, uh, you know, for several other reasons, that is false assurance. Uh, and I believe people know this deep down. Uh, and sometimes it comes across as protesting too much. Uh, oh, I'm fine. I don't need, what was it, Huey Lewis song to, to make a really kind of... Uh, modern and and hip reference where he went on and on about how he didn't need to be born again and I'm like well then buddy why even bring it up um, you know oh, you guys are too old uh, the kids they listen to Huey Lewis in the news it is still hip to be square I understand that's in fact that is hipsterness in a nutshell uh, so let's ask the opposite question then do all believers have assurance and that might be a more complicated question. Uh, well, if they're true believers, I think they would have it if they searched for it. Okay. Suss that out. Um, well, uh, I think that uh, I think that assurance is promised to everybody. Uh, everyone is an actual true believer. Um, but I think that I think that it actually takes some level of work. To, to actually find it, you know, like like uh, meditating and reading on the promises that are made to you um, throughout the entirety of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, promises about, you know, that, that are made like Ephesians about being sealed in the Spirit and such, and you're inherited. Uh, in First Peter about your inheritance being kept in heaven away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, or, you know, second year about making your calling and election sure and these different things and working this kind of stuff out. I think that, uh, but I th- again, I think that takes work and thought process. Not a lot of people can do good stuff. Good work. So all believers can have assurance, but maybe don't. Why would anyone not want it? Well, I think that they do want it. Maybe they're, maybe they're not educated enough or energized enough to actually pursue it. Here's a question I hadn't planned to ask, but 
what if someone's theological system doesn't make room for an assurance of salvation? Uh, kind of the, the notion that I can't know. Uh, I can throw myself at the mercy of God and hope, hope that I'm uh, going to be accepted, hope that I'm one of his, but I can't really know because, hey, I've known a lot of people who were sure they were Christians and then they fell away and obviously they're, they're not coming back. That kind of throws me for a loop. Uh, and there's stuff about making your, you know, calling election sure and fear and trembling that maybe seems to indicate to some people don't uh, commit. I mean, we talk about presumptuous confidence. That's actually a Roman Catholic sin, a sin of presumption, uh, suggesting I do know that I am saved. Uh, and I don't have to worry about a mortal sin on my conscience when I die. I don't have to worry about going and partaking of the, the sacraments regularly. Um, now, that would be kind of way out away from the doctrine that we're uh, learning about and talking about here. But even a, a basic Arminian view um, would, would lead people away from a sense of assurance. I think also that... So you've got you've got the side of it that's Roman Catholic, but you also have a side of it where you have, um, and I don't know if this would be a group of churches or it could be anybody, I guess, depending on how the preaching is. But you've got the sort of culture of continuously going forward and people thinking they need to, um, like, oh, it didn't take last time. Oh, I thought you meant like moving forward. I'm like, I hope that's all Christians. Oh, you, you no, mean going I mean, up to get saved up, again? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and because for whatever reason they don't they don't have a, a good theology of um, sanctification, where they realize that they are in some ways a work in progress, where they're getting better, but that doesn't mean you're not saved if you sin. Yeah, yeah. I think that you and I both saw someone that we know fairly well over the course of her kind of late teenage and college years, every single summer at camp, stand up and say, oh, I got to do this again because it didn't take last time. Not in those words, but essentially, I left camp on fire for Jesus. Immediately, it was just like, splat, forget that, lived in abject sin. And, then, and, and at that point, I might suggest Maybe you not. shouldn't have assurance uh, and there is the there even not in just Roman Catholic circles in Baptist circles there's a lot of false assurance where it says remember you repeated these three sentences when you were four and someone said if you just repeat them you can have a muffin and you did it therefore you're saved and nothing now that can happen can change that that's not biblical any more than the the uh, errors of Rome that that uh, we would repudiate. So there's got to be a true ground for the assurance, for it to be true assurance. Instead of look to the card you signed, it should say, look to Christ, right? Jesus is where we find our assurance. Uh, and we ought to have it. Uh, we can know that we are his. Uh, we can, in fact, much of the New Testament is about that. Uh, we can have certainty that no one will be able to snatch us out of the Father's hand. Jesus promised that. Uh, we are safe there. Uh, and yet, and I kind of preached on this last week, there are times when assurance 
wanes, uh, ebbs and flows. There are times when you don't quite feel saved. Uh, and that is a, a, an issue. How can that happen? Uh, for those who are in Christ, what are some reasons that we might lack assurance? I think sometimes when we stop, this is ironic because I wasn't at church last week. <laughs> are you going to be here next week though, right? When we stop, shut up. <laughs> when we stop regularly going to church or regularly reading scripture and regularly meeting with other people, I think that that's a time that people tend to have that happen. Okay. Why? I think because if you're if you're not constantly reminding yourself, it's easy to get distracted by the rest of life and and other people and maybe things that you know you shouldn't be involved in that you kind of become involved in or people with that you shouldn't be involved with, um, where you don't have like Christian friends around you, but you're kind of going back to like your old group and they're not going to enforce the fact that you're spoken for by Christ. It's something where you have to, you know, keep feeding yourself so that you don't forget. It's easy to forget. Okay. Or maybe not feeding yourself, even. Well, being, yeah, being. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Martin Luther said, when, when asked, why do you preach the gospel every week? Because every week, you forget. And and that, that is certainly true. Richard? Well, I was thinking if our mentality today, what we need is a certificate signed by Jesus that says we're saved. <laughs> Where do you? So we don't believe unless we see it mm. in writing. Interesting. I don't even believe if I see it in writing. <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. <laughs> yeah, definitely that's true. <laughs> I think that one. People really struggle with like with like a, a indwelling kind of like uh, beset sins and stuff like that that we can't seem to get over. You know, we talked about that last week. You know, Paul's big struggle in in uh, in Romans seven is that you know, he, he has these sins that he doesn't want to do, but he continues to do. Uh, he kind of works himself into this state of worthless man and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, he has to bring himself back to that reminder in the beginning of eight. About being purchased by Jesus and such, but I think that I think that the indwelling sin is a big thing that, that tends to tends to push people down. Well, how can I be saved because I continue to do this particular sin? Yeah. Right, and that can be reinforced by other people yeah. too who point it out. Yeah. And the enemy. Yeah. In fact, that's, let's look at some scriptures here. Second um, Corinthians twelve seven. I'm already open to that. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. Uh, and how about Isaiah 59, 2? Nice. Luke 9. No, skip that one. Uh, Ephesians 4, 28 to 30. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7. No, I wasn't there. No. No, it's more, I think, the OCD of having scribbled something out. Isn't it? Isn't it, Aaron? I th- no, I just give me the number so I can look it up later. Well, how's the assurance then? Okay, so, 
to keep me from becoming conceited, I'm sorry, let me give you a little context. I'll roll back to six. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, I think here we see a glimpse that occasionally God will humble us, push us back down. Uh, even St. Paul, or maybe especially someone like St. Paul in a very prominent position, was in danger of falling into the error of the devil, as he put it, of being puffed up, of becoming uh, too big for his... Well, they didn't have britches back then, but uh, his, his robes. And uh, God then gave him a thorn in the flesh. When, when we feel like, wait a minute, God, you're, you're sort of singling me out. I thought we were, I thought I was on your crew. I thought we were boys. For some reason, you start talking like 90s hip-hop you know, jargon to God. Um, that's when we might start to wonder, am I? Are, uh, special in his sight? Am I anything? Or, or is this whole thing kind of an indifferent universe? Just everybody getting... Uh, and we have to look a little deeper and say, perhaps, Revelation 3, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. God is working on me in a way that feels like I'm outside of his protection and grace. But what he's doing is he's actually refining me. Uh, and, and undoubtedly, Paul continued to, to struggle with that, even when he got the answer, my grace is sufficient for you. What kind of answer is that? <laughs> a, a theologically good, but also probably very unsatisfying answer. Um, what about uh, Isaiah 59.2? Sure. Uh, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Well. Oh, man. So, perhaps, like Alex was saying, sin could lead to a sense of isolation from God when really we're still His. The assurance doesn't say that we'll have perfect open communication all the time and nothing will get in the way. It says at the last, He will own us as His own. Uh, but in the moment, yeah, we can because of our sin find his face hidden from us. And you might say, wait a minute, that's all the way back in the Old Testament. Jesus died and rose after that, and the whole game is different. I mean, but I go into the general epistles and find, you know, if you, if you make your wife cry, God's not going to hear your prayer. So <laughs> there's, there are things that we can do that are going to uh, separate us from God in a temporary sense, uh, and that sin if we double down on it, if we own it as our identity for a time, if we're led astray, enticed and dragged away, we can find ourselves very much lacking in the assurance. Telling, hearing the lie, you're, you're just the same old sinner and uh, believing it. Uh, we won't do Luke 9, 33 to 34. Uh, Ephesians 4, 28 to 30. Let, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Let the thief no longer. <laughs> That's 
sounded like a cartoon when someone's been drinking and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we can grieve the Spirit, and yet we're still sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. Uh, and, and even then, and when we find ourselves feeling distant from God, uh, A, we know that repentance is the way immediately back into full communion with him, uh, and that we're still his children. But B, we can find, even in a passage like that, the marrying together of, here's how you draw away from God and grieve the Spirit, dot, 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 by whom you are sealed. So the reminder that you're his. In fact, that's why it grieves the spirit. Because you are sealed by him. Well, that's kind of like when you do something stupid as a kid and you grieve your parents, but they're still your parents. Right, yeah, and and if they weren't, they probably wouldn't be all, I mean, like if the kid down the street did that, they'd be like, well, sucks for his parents. But if it's your child, yes, so that's the, the connection, the closeness is kind of maybe even manifested in that feeling of distance. Why would you suddenly feel this distance unless it's someone with whom you're close? And why would it feel wrong to feel that distance? Well, and like in that Isaiah thing, I had written down next to it, so you must have taught on it at some point, um, that unrepentant sin equals unanswered prayer. Mm. Like that was what it was about. So the same thing with like when you do something that you know you did wrong, but you haven't, your parents haven't figured it out yet and how that wedge puts a wedge between you because you're waiting for them to to figure out or you strike the car along the side of the house and you haven't written a note yet (laughs) that's it sorry inside um i think the emphasis here i want to make is when you talk to people who have quote unquote been christians and then fallen away which is something that can challenge our sense of uh, assurance. Because we say, if it happened to them, why couldn't it happen to me? A lot of the time, I'd say 85 to 90% of the time, you start asking them questions and their initial story is, I began to doubt all this stuff. You know, I was praying and I realized I was just talking to myself in my head. I started to question some of these fantastical claims of the Bible and say, well, wait a minute, is this just because I happened to be raised where I was, when I was, by who I was? Um, and over time, I sort of let it all go, and now I'm doing things and thinking things and saying things that I would have once considered horribly sinful, uh, but I'm okay with them because it began with doubt, and it led me to where I am now. But dig deeper, and I've done this so many times. I, I, I didn't discover this myself. Uh, Dr. Whitmer, uh, Mike Whitmer wrote a book called uh, Despite Doubt, Amazing book. We did a study through it some years ago. And his um, thesis for part of the book was uh, sin leads to doubt, not the other way around. He found scriptural uh, passages and he talked to people who had uh, fallen away from the faith. And it seems that in every case, and I have found this to be true as well, when you get people to honestly start just tell you their, their kind of 
deconversion story, and a lot of them are chomping at the bit to do it, that initial narrative falls apart. You do a little detective work. And when you start asking, how did this really start? It started with a little sin, and the sin led them to justify it via doubt. And, and so that separation, I think a lot of people are worried that asking the tough questions or finding something in the Bible to be almost ridiculous and, and wrestling with it or something like that is going to lead them to an isolation from God and then lead them into sin and lead them away from... And I think the opposite is true. You, you have to struggle with and wrestle with these things. It's that sin, unchecked in your life, unrepented of, left to fester, will lead to doubt and, and will escort you out the door much of the time. Yeah, Aaron. I think that's shown a lot in the Psalms because David doesn't not confront God when things don't make sense to him. Uh, that's not what drives him away from God. It's his sin. Yeah. Um, I think today it's become very popular, though, to to be a, maybe a little embarrassed that all this stuff that I once would have said, this grieves the heart of God, and I would never do this. Now I'm, now I'm doing it. Now I'm um, entirely outside of what I once... And, and to then try and retcon that to go back and, and do a little revisionist history and make it look like, no, I was very sophisticated in my thinking. And that's what led to where I am now. Not I was weak and I uh, gave in to temptation. I think, I, I think a lot of the issue might be God's grace in the fact that they can commit these sins and there's no repercussion. Yet. So, <laughs> right, yeah. So that, that you know, Usually, if there's something wrong and you do it, there's a repercussion. But mm-hmm. they don't at least see the repercussion, so it, that would be a way to have doubt come into your life too. Well, well, hey, I'm not supposed to do this, but when I do it, yeah. and there's but, less and less repercussion in our culture, right? And even in the church, yeah. So there, there ought to be. I mean, and there is. I mean, even if I mean, we're already in Corinthians here, there's those in uh, that were taking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and. God was like sick, 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 dead um, instead of duck, duck, goose. Uh, so flippant, why? I don't know. So there is, you know, examples in scripture. There should be expel the immoral brother so that you can restore him later. There, there should be within the community this built-in kind of mechanism of uh, church discipline in which we will actually have some kind of... Uh, Immediate, uh, I don't remember the word you used, um, repercussion, uh, and, and that will kind of just kind of wake somebody up from, oh, what am I doing before they've walked, you know, too many paces down the wide road that leads to destruction. But I think, yeah, like you say, today, that sort of thing is... Even among friends, like, you're afraid to point that out in a friend's life. Like, you're, you're this is wrong. Because it's none of your business, mm. you know, and that's that's the relationship where you should be able to build one another up and and keep one another accountable. Yeah, and, and I mean that's the the sort of thing where you might see a friend withdraw and pull out of a relationship. I think that's become our default thing to do. Yeah, so they when, see, and, and so that's what people are doing with God as well. 
uh, I feel this conviction inside or something and I don't like that and why doesn't, I've been told by the culture that everyone should accept everything about me and everything that I do and celebrate it. So if this God's not going to do that, I'm out. Uh, and then, yeah, I can cock later a, a great tale about how it was the contradictions in the Bible or it was science. I'm not a scientist, but I have a master's degree in science. Um, that's, that's all to say that assurance is ours, but we don't all always have it in equal portion. We do struggle to hang on to it. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's like holiness. It's the kind of thing that uh, you sometimes are like, wow, I am in the zone here. And then there are times, I mean, here's the question. Was Jesus even tempted to feel a lack of assurance? Must have been. Right? He's tempted in all ways that we are. It's, I mean, something like Father or, or, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Seems to kind of imply that. Granted, he's... He's naming a psalm, as we're going to mention in the, the message this morning, but the words of it apply to him. Yeah. Well, still, even though he, at, at the time he felt forsaken, did he not? He already was God. How could he not know that? That is the mystery of the incarnation. I, I mean, stuff happens to me that I wonder why is God doing this to me, but I still feel some assurance that. So I'm still saying, why is this happening, God? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's many of the Psalms begin with, what is this? Are you working for the other guys now? And end with, but I, you're faithful and I trust you and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, this all, it's so weird how often these kind of, these questions lead into uh, what I'm, I'm preaching yeah. on. Well, well, if you think about it, the so number, you probably don't even need to come. A number of Psalms that are like that must mean something. Like, why were all of those written down? I mean, people must really struggle with this. Yeah, yeah. If they were preserved. They've had a lot to struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> well, and especially as you become more sensitive to the Spirit, it can be overwhelming. Sean mentioned this last week. Just like, every time I think, all right, I'm pretty good here. I'm not perfect, but I've got, you know, a decent thing going you're like, oh, you know, you open another door and a new, a new, it's like Aaron's dreams where there's always new closets that she didn't know about in the house. You're like, I didn't know, I forgot about that one. And what had I stored in? Oh, crud. And, and it, it can, if you don't continually run to Christ and enjoy the presence of Christ, that can weigh down on you. Uh, a person who suspected that a minister, I'm sorry. A person who suspected a minister of his acquaintance was not truly a Calvinist. What does that mean? Suspected a minister of his acquaintance? Oh, somebody he knew. A minister he knew. Okay, that guy. Sorry. A person who suspected that a minister of his acquaintance was not truly a Calvinist. Okay. Went to him and said, Sir, I am told that you are against the perseverance of the saints. Not I indeed, answered he. It is the perseverance of sinners that I oppose. But this is not a satisfactory answer, sir. Do you think that a child of God cannot fall very low and yet be restored? He replied, I think it will be very dangerous to make the experiment. <laughs> what do you think? I think you have trees on both sides. Yeah, you know, one's right. 
but the other one I think is also, yeah, you know, you shouldn't, talking experimentally, yeah, you shouldn't like be driven purposely slow, solo or kind of give yourself that excuse of, oh, I can go lower. There is in the, uh, I'm going to say in the Calvinist circles we move around in, uh, a subcurrent of, they, they don't recognize that what they're doing is exactly what Paul says. Let us go on sinning that grace may increase because their emphasis is not on me sinning, but on God's grace increasing. And look, at, it brings glory to God. Uh, there, there is a very famous teacher that I really, really appreciate who says, if you haven't been accused of being antinomian, which means someone who says there is no law, anything goes. If you haven't been accused of that, then you don't understand salvation. You don't understand grace and what it is. If you, have, if you haven't had somebody say, well, wait a minute, you can do anything. Well, well and, and to that, I think, Ugh. it would be a very dangerous experiment for me to keep on uh, especially purposely testing the grace of God. Yes, it's bottomless, but at some point, it's me I'm worried about, not the depth of God's grace. Well, and everybody who's watching you, who's saying that this Christianity thing is not real, like they would see that as mm. this person's a hypocrite and they're living a lie. So it's a dangerous experiment for, for me. It's a dangerous experiment for the witness of the church. I mean, it's one thing to fall publicly once, but to do it again and again and again, I mean, that's not, that's not a great witness if for, like, if you're thinking of, like, a minister. A minister, yeah, you fall once, you wait seven months, you move to a different state, <laughs> and you start a new church. And you're all right. <laughs> that, that hasn't happened 48 times in the last <laughs> 10 minutes. Um, I sound jaded. <laughs> well, let me ask this. When your assurance slips... When you find yourself going, ah, maybe, and you're not doubting that God is real. You're not doubting even the scriptures. You're just doubting that they apply to you. You're not doubting that God is love, but you're doubting that maybe he loves you. What is your comfort? I think that's an important question. Because while sin generally leads to doubt, once your assurance starts to slip, you can say to yourself, what difference does it make? And it leads into sin in this vicious cycle. Let's look to scripture while you think on that. Uh, Psalm 89, 28. Isaiah 8, 17. Well, let's hear it. I will maintain my love to him forever. What, what have we pointed to there? Covenant. covenant, yeah. And that is what the Bible is built around, is covenants. I think remembering the covenant. You know, when, when Abraham doubted, you know, let's see. Uh, my sweetheart is now, uh, ooh, 99. <laughs> is this going to happen? Uh, he, he could remember the, the very sight of the burning torch passing between the halves of the animals in this covenant ceremony and go, oh, yeah. I mean, even dirtbags like me and the kings of the earth aren't going to break a covenant. Surely this God of the universe isn't going to break the covenant. Well, we think to the, the new covenant, 
sealed in Christ's blood, and it puts the the weight of it back on his shoulders instead of on mine. Uh, I think even though this is kind of a nerdy knee-jerk reaction to something like doubting your assurance, reading about the covenants um, is a great place to go uh, because it reminds us where uh, the faithfulness is uh, kind of piled and where it's not. It's, it's not in my basket. It's, it's in his. Well, even beyond that, there's so many examples of, yeah, God remembering his covenant, like re- hearing the people in Egypt and acting, and he's the one who then saves them. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of examples. Of yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, the whole Old Testament is that story yeah. of God again being and again and again. faithful in his covenant with people who are not yeah. faithful. Yeah. And, and so when we are finding ourselves, uh, whether it's because we've not been faithful or simply because we're kind of going through a dark night of the soul or whatever, just going, uh, I don't even, yeah, the words, I know them, but they seem empty and I don't, how how does this help me to remember, uh, even if it doesn't give you a warm fuzzy, just to plant your pole there on Calvary and say, this is, you know, this covenant that God cut is where my, my hope lies. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Huh. Well, and that's a, a I had never thought of that. That be having just even not even <laughs> this is gonna sound like I'm taking a jot at you, but it's not. Not even maturity. Um <laughs> just saying apart from apart from that, yeah, just just having lived and, and going I doubted thirty-eight times at this level that that I was really uh, going to be welcomed back into his presence and every time I was, how thick-headed do I have to be to think this time's different? Well, I think that's an important thing too. Like, if, especially if you're a newer Christian, having a good friendship or mentorship with mm-hmm. somebody who's been for a really long time and knows like this will pass. Yeah, yeah. We're, it's a new experience and it seems to you like maybe it's just the wearing off of this initial Jesus high I was on. And I think that that's one of the things that we do wrong a lot of times is like when you when you feel like you're doubting or you have sin in your life, you withdraw and you don't lean on anybody else. And so you don't ever get that assurance. Like to me, that's, you know, scripture is is probably the best thing to go to when you're when you're doubting or you're wondering if you're really saved or anything like that. But I think that other people are really more helpful to me. Reading the scripture with other people. Yeah. I mean, so that you can be reminded where to look right. and what and it means. Sitting under preaching yeah. where that actually points to that, you know, rather than, um, you know, have a great financial life or sex life or this is all about your marriage or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, something that's actually about right. faith and salvation. And yeah, Dr. Rob Rosenblatt is a, my, probably my favorite Lutheran at the moment. I mean, I'm counting you as a Baptist now. Uh, <laughs> he... He would always talk about these sermons he's heard about, you know, victorious living or, uh, you know, every day is a Friday or living your best, most actualized life. Uh, and he says that at the end of any time he hears that kind of sermon, he wants to just stand up and shout, but what have you got for a sinner like me? Uh, and I think that if your study of the scripture is rooted in those materials that are very popular right now that are, it's, it's about kind of a boost for you. Uh, 
if the preaching you're hearing, the teaching, you're, the, the, the music you're listening to is all reinforcing that, mm-hmm. that's not going to build your assurance. But if it's all pointing you to Christ, if, if the notion is we're all just beggars pointing each other to where the food is, we're going to instinctively go to that place. Uh, and we'll find our assurance again much sooner than we otherwise would have. You know, it's, it, we, we read, take up your cross and follow me. And we often think, I've dropped my cross. And, you know, sort of like Peter, when he you know, looks down and, and sees his own failing as he goes underwater, he should have kept his eyes up. Because if you keep your eyes up, you see Jesus uh, never dropped the cross. Um, and and uh, even when they took it from his shoulders and put it on Simon's, he kept going. He set his face to the, the, the skull, and he went there, and he died there. And in that is my assurance. Not in... Not even in you know my own past experience of of having <laughs> lucky uh, in my own past experience of having weathered this or that it's always in Christ and what he's he's done for us. Uh, how about um, Isaiah eight seventeen? What should we do in these moments? I'll go there. Race me. You lose. Um, I spoke too soon. Here it is. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Again, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, meaning from Israel, from God's people. I will put my trust in him. What's the four letter word here? That's five, but all right. I think they're both equally important, right? Sometimes we, we want it to be over now, and maybe God is stretching us and growing us. You know, I've been doing uh, more exercise lately. I'm trying to lose a little more from here and, and gain a little more up here, you guys. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes you're like, okay, this, is, this hurts, and it's no fun, and it's no good. I should just stop. And then you remember, no, 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 you got to tear down so that your body will build it up. And in the same way, you know, sometimes God is tearing some of the old down and waiting on him is what he's teaching us how to do. Waiting on the Lord is one of the most common commands in the Old Testament for, especially in the Psalms. Uh, Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, trust in the Lord. And just choosing to do that, even when you're not feeling it, quote-unquote, may be exactly what God is, is teaching us to do and is drawing us into. Uh, and to remember that whether or not you feel the assurance, you have it. So I mentioned last Sunday uh, that I think a great illustration, I think I got it from Ray Comfort, is uh, the banana guy. He, he also has taught a lot of good stuff. Uh, is that those people on the ark might not have felt saved, right? You think about, I mean, I'm, I'm one of these crazy fundamentalists that believes the Bible is true and that there was a, a, a flood that required, uh, that, that judged the world and required this, this man and his family and, and, and two of each kind of animal, except for the clean kind, seven of each of them. They went in and um, undoubtedly it started to feel smaller. It started to get stinkier. 
it started to be scarier the longer they were completely isolated. Um, they got scurvy. Uh, I made that part up. Maybe they didn't. Uh, and you you got to imagine, in the middle of the night, you wake up and you hear the creaking of this ship and you're like, we'd never built a ship before in our lives. And me and like my friends, my family built this thing and there's elephants on it. We're doomed. <laughs> but they were safe. They were safe. Even if they don't feel it. Augustine said, assurance is not of the essence of faith. And I think that is a great quote to remember. Assurance is not of the essence of faith. Rather, as we just saw here in the catechism, it is one of the benefits that accompanies and flows out of adoption, justification, and sanctification. Not having it doesn't mean you don't have faith. Lacking it doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm not saved. It's not one of these things where if you believe it's true, it's true for you. No, even if I'm in, the, in this moment, like I, I, it feels like I'm just grabbing at an at apparition, the, that assurance that I used to hold on and it felt so solid. Okay, I'm sorry you're going through that, but it doesn't change reality. It's just your perception of reality that is skewed right now. And of course, the, the enemy, as we mentioned uh, as my whole message was about last week, uh, throwing a blanket over this is, is Satan's main strategy. If he can get you to believe that you are lacking assurance, that you are still one of his and not one of God's, he takes you off the board because you're not going to be uh, witnessing because you're going to feel inadequate and you'll have imposter syndrome and all these things. Uh, you're probably not going to be pursuing holiness because you're going to feel like it's futile and you're never going to really get anywhere. Uh, he can take your perception of reality without having the power to change the reality and paralyze you. And that is what we want to avoid. But even when it happens, it's not of the essence of faith to, be, to have absolute assurance. There, that's why I would say there are a lot of people in traditions where they might even teach it's, it's uh, very inappropriate for you to claim the absolute assurance where they've got it. They just don't know it. Um, they, they're saved. They'll be saved and, and they'll say, whew, I really just barely made it in and I believe they'll find out, no, 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 no. It was solid from the moment you believed on me and turned from your sins. Uh, and it's okay. That's, you don't have to have every little doctrinal jot and tittle in place in order to belong to Jesus. Thankfully. Because I have at least two somewhere that are off. I like that you laughed. You're right. I probably don't. <laughs> but there's these two, I think, really vicious cycles. Assurance leads to boldness and obedience, which leads to sanctification, which leads to more assurance. Because you say, oh, doctor, my calling and election are sure because I see the fruit in my life. So I see that it's growing, that God's at work, which leads to more boldness and obedience, which leads to more sanctification, which leads to more assurance. And it's this blessed, vicious cycle. And the opposite is true, too. A lack of assurance leads to fear and disobedience, which leads to more lack of assurance, which leads to more fear which then leads to more disobedience, which leads to more fear, which leads to more lack of... And, and that... So, so what we want to do is trust in the Lord, call out to the Lord, wait on the Lord, and I think be very stubborn in this. Uh, and as, as we read uh, in a passage about the resurrection, which we'll get to probably next week, uh, be steadfast, immovable. Uh, say, I'm not going to stop believing this. 
don't stop believing. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. I love it. It's, it's, it's very, uh, you know, tacky, I guess, uh, and a little too pithy. But yeah, there's a reason these things are your beliefs. Believe them. And these things that are your doubts, doubt them. And the one that really holds your life in his hands, trust him and wait on him. Anybody have any experience they want to share with a time when their uh, salvation seemed uncertain and their assurance was uh, kind of fading for a time and then was restored? Not that we have to share our lives with each other or anything. I mean, I think I think the period when uh, when me and Sam left uh, left the previous church we were at, I think there was a really dark kind of lull where where that was the first church that either of us had been at, you know, and and we were in these positions there, and everything seemed to be going so great, and then everything went so wrong, so fantastically, so incredibly fast that uh, it. It, it kind of made my head spin a bit, and it made it just seem like, well, if this was all kind of like a fabrication and a lie, then how much more, you know, mm. is there, you know? And then start to go back and, and kind of reevaluate things, and you know, well, I put my faith in this because this person told me so, but this person turned out to be like this, mm. and what does that mean at their point, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think that that was a really specific time where um, a lot of things didn't seem really, I also like to add up, but even if they did add up, it didn't seem like it mattered. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that's something we kind of didn't mention, that the hypocrisy around us uh, often will make us begin to doubt as well. Uh, th- there's a, a passage in Screwtape Letters where Screwtape tells Wormwood, it's fine if your human goes to church, uh, Screwtape's a demon, uh, and, and Wormwood is his underling demon dealing with this new believer. Um, it's fine if he goes to church, just don't let his attention go to the cross. Keep it on how human and how awkward and weird and just ordinary, regular people everyone is around him. Let, let him focus on the grocer and how when he sings, it's off-key and he makes you know this weird guttural sound. Keep his, you know, Make him look over at how... The, the woman down the pew has no chin and how the, you know, just all, all this weird, you know, the boots squeak and and, and and keep the focus on the fact that it's all just a bunch of fallible people rather than the focus being on Christ and what he's doing with these fallible people. What was it that, I can't remember what the guy said that uh, I saw a priest drop his keys and it ruined the whole thing. It was Nick Miller. How do you not remember? Yeah, I saw a priest, I once saw a priest drop his keys and uh, it, it was so human, it ruined religion. <laughs> and, and, and Bill Burr, another comic that I'm not endorsing, uh, the whole kind of subcurrent in his uh, stuff was, um, it's just some guy up there. And it is just some guy up there. But it's not just some guy up there. And that's the point. And so take your eyes off of, but it's easy when you, when you say, yeah. I mean, and, and that was a, a relatively, compare that to someone who, I don't want to minimize your experience, but compare it to, to say, someone who was in Tulian Chavidian's church, and they find out, oh, he had an extramarital affair 
Yikes. Oh, but he repented of it. He's going to step. Oh, he had oh, three, four, whatever, how many more. Uh, and, and they start to say, I believe because he preached this gospel about life being, you know, new life and, and sins being forgiven and turning to Christ. Is that all nonsense? Uh, was that, yeah, was that just a, a show? And that can also rob us of our assurance. Um, I have a lot of friends that have left churches because of problems they've had with people. And they don't go to another church. And I said, well, you let a person come between you and God. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. If they went to another church, though, there'd still be Those more people. people. Would be there too. <laughs> right. Yeah, that might be the issue. They just don't want to go to church and they're using this as an excuse. But... Or just the presence of fallible. You know, they, they thought that it was going to be different from any other group they've been part of in that there would be no gossip. There'd be no. But the whole point of us coming together is that we all know that we have dirt and that we are that well, we're sinners and we need help. A lot of churches, like, there's a veneer that, oh, no, no nobody here does that. And I think that being yeah. honest about our feelings is much more healthy for everybody involved because then we're not hypocrites. We're just being, we're not trying to hide something. We're saying, well, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. That's right, yeah. There's no hypocrisy when someone says what I am is a, a sinner saved by grace. Right. And then they act like a sinner being saved by grace. Right. Hypocrisy is pretending acting, putting on a fake uh, face and pretending to be something you're not. So if you say, I'm perfect, right. I, I'm, yeah, yeah. And there's that's, pressure for people to, to put on that face there is. at a lot of places. Well, I think in, in every church, there is a certain kind of implied pressure of, you know, if you're, especially if you're in leadership or something, that you're not struggling. Well, where'd that come from? Probably introduced by the enemy. Uh, because it's a, a real handy tool. Well, it's half past, so um, I guess we are done here. We'll, we'll go into more of these um, benefits of uh, the justification, adoption, and sanctification next time, including peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and then talk about growing inward, outward, downward, and upward, uh, which is just reading a ton of scripture, and I think it's a really, really good exercise. Um, reminding us the how much we've grown and how much we've yet to grow. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have uh, brought us together today. We thank you that we have the assurance, even when we feel like we don't, that we are safe in your hand. Even when we feel like we've fallen out, Lord, we are indeed your sheep and, and the enemy cannot snatch us away. And we pray that you would build and grow our assurance. And when we must, Lord, that we would wait on you, uh, even waiting in a place that is dark and seems bleak, Lord, waiting and trusting, knowing that you are coming for us because you love us, uh, knowing that we are spoken for in Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you for all these kids that we hear right now. And, and uh, we thank you for those who are teaching them uh, this week. And, and uh, we just pray that you would be glorified in our service. Uh, In your holy name we pray. Amen.